everybody. I'm Pam Pastor, host of the Grace and Peace of God Love Wins podcast. I am thrilled that you found me, but more importantly, I'm thrilled that you found Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. And as we journey together, we'll unleash discoveries of how to turn a heart of stone into one of moldable clay for the potter to transform. I hope that you'll consider joining me and others each week as we adventure and explore life together. And friends, periodically, we'll delve into my mailbag and answer questions from listeners just like you. So if you have a question, make sure and email it to me at pampastorcopywriting at gmail.com. Once again, that's pampastorcopywriting at gmail.com. Welcome back, everybody. And today brings us to day four in our series of biblical angels. And if you'll recall back today, one, we explored the need for Bible study along with the theme of God and angels. And on day two, we looked into angels and teaching mankind how to worship On day three, we looked at angels and Jesus. Specifically, we learned that the father said to Jesus, you are my son. Today, I have become your father. And again, God said, I will be his father and he will be my son. So God said, let all the angels of God worship him. And this really solidifies for us, friends, that Jesus is superior to the angels. His title, Son of God, was never ever given to an angel, nor has it ever been used that way. Angels are important, but they're still only servants under God. And so Jesus's kingdom reigns forever. And Jesus is the creator of the world. And Jesus is given unique honor by God, whereas Jesus reveals God to man. He is our clearest picture into the supernatural. Jesus is the complete expression of God in a human body. And Jesus does dispatch the angels to help out with mankind. So angels may appear to us in visible or invisible form. They are innumerable. And all angels were created for Jesus that are both in heaven and actively upon the earth. For he commanded and they were created. This divine exchange occurred all because God spoke them into existence and then they immediately began to praise him. So angels do not marry like the sons of the resurrection. They don't die out of existence. There's a preset number of them. And God considered their creation a special act. This didn't involve into a being. So this tells us that they are also not a race. And this set number then again tells us they're not a race and that angels primary purpose is to worship God. And when we think about it, this is man's primary purpose as well. For the book of Ecclesiastes tells us in chapter 12 verses 13 and 14, here is my final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commands, for this is the duty of every person. God will judge us for everything we do, including every secret thing, whether good or bad. 
So no matter what the mysteries and apparent contradictions of life are, we must work toward the single purpose of knowing God. And the angels lead worship in heaven and execute the judgment of Jesus as directed. And Jesus has been given all authority to judge from the Father because he stays within his perfect will. So the constant theme is praise to the creator. Although angels are spiritual beings, they do possess separate and individual personalities. Humans are earthbound, therefore angels are superior to man. Angels are also stronger than men. And the archangel Gabriel said in the book of Daniel, chapter 9, verses 21 and 22, As I was praying, Gabriel, whom I had seen in the earlier vision, came swiftly to me. At the time of the evening sacrifice, he explained to me, Daniel, I've come here to give you insight and understanding. This shows us that the archangels are smarter than man. Gabriel came to Daniel to give him wisdom, insight, and understanding. Two areas cause angels to be swifter than men, and that would be that they are unhindered by man's fallen nature from back in the Garden of Eden. And then secondly, the laws of gravity and time do not affect them at all. So the greatest of all is the angel of the Lord. But then under that, we have the two archangels who head up the entire angelic army. We have Michael and Gabriel. And we learn in the book of Acts chapter 12, verses 1 through 11, that King Herod Agrippa, who was the grandson of Herod the Great and brother to Herodias, the one who was responsible for the death of John the Baptist, He was part Jewish, so the Romans had appointed him to rule over most of Palestine. He persecuted the Christians in order to please the Jewish leaders of the day who opposed them. And Herod executed James, and Peter then was arrested during the festival of unleavened bread. But because more Jews were in the city at this time for the festival, this was a part of King Herod Agrippa's strategy. He was all about impressing the people. What he didn't plan for was that the churches was going to stand behind Peter in fervent prayer. So in James chapter 5, verse 16, it has this to say about prayer. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and wonderful results. So in Christ's kingdom, every believer is a priest for other believers. Herod's plan most likely was to follow suit with Peter after the favorable reception to James's execution. But again, he was not anticipating the church praying fervently for Peter. And while in prison, God sent an angel of the Lord to rescue Peter. In Acts chapter 12, verse 11, we learn that Peter finally realized what had happened. He says, is it really true? The Lord has sent his angel and saved me from Herod and from what the Jews were hoping to do to me. Let's look at why God would dispatch an angel to rescue Peter and not a mere human. An angel, first of all, stands ready to execute at all times and fulfill whatever mission has been given to him. They have supernatural power. Sometimes they take on human appearances in order to talk with someone. They can be invisible if necessary. They're smarter than man. They're unhindered by gravity or time, as we said before, and they can help to ensure God's will on earth is completed. 
So we learn about a hatched plan conceived out of impatience and desire for what we don't possess yet. We're going to go to Genesis chapter 16, where we meet Sarai and Abram, who had no children at the time. Sarai had an Egyptian maidservant, though, whose name was Hagar. Sarai decides to take matters into her own hands and comes up with a plan. Sarai tells Abram to go and get together with Hagar, fully expecting that they would bear a child. And it had been 10 years since the Lord first promised Abram a promised child. And Sarai knew that the Lord had restrained her womb from having children. So what was the human plan, otherwise known as the plan? Sarai proposes using Hagar as a surrogate. Like Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, Abram's temptation came from the person closest to him. So how do we practically apply this? Well, Abram and Sarai focused on the reality of their situation. Abram looked at his age. He was 86 years old at the time. And Sarai was near his age and she was focusing on her barren womb. So then what happened? We see that Hagar conceives Abram's child, just like their plan. And then Sarai despised Hagar. So she completely turned on her. And when we operate outside of God's will for our life, it's always negative. So Sarai tries to blame shift and says in Genesis chapter 16, verse 5, My wrong be upon you. And Sarai treats Hagar harshly. So Hagar left after this. But the culture of the time demanded dignified treatment of surrogate mothers. So the appearance by the angel of the Lord was a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. Hagar was feeling hopeless. She was alone in the wilderness after running. And Hagar and the angel of the Lord began a conversation. In Genesis chapter 16, verse 10, Then the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly, so that they shall not be counted for multitude. God's commands are often accompanied by assurances and compassion. And in Hagar's moment of helplessness, God sent the angel of the Lord to her to ease her despair. And the promise of Genesis chapter 16 verse 10 to multiply her descendants exceedingly would be fulfilled through the birth of her son Ishmael, from whom the Arabic people would descend. In Genesis chapter 16 verse 13, it says, You are the God who sees me, for she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. So Hagar gave Abram a son, and Abram named him Ishmael. Common practice of their day reflected a married woman who could not bear children, was shamed by her peers, and was often required to give her female servant to her husband in order to produce heirs. So Sarai gave up gave up her privileges and gave them over to Hagar, to Abram, as was the custom of the day. And Abram was just acting in line with the cultural times. But here's where he missed the mark and sinned against God. It was by demonstrating a lack of faith in God's promise that he had received 10 years earlier. 
Sarai did what Adam and Eve did. She arranged for Hagar to stand in the gap of her barren womb by having a child with Abram. However, later she would blame him for the results. And don't we sometimes do this as well? We lash out in frustration and we accuse another rather than admitting our own mistakes and asking for God's forgiveness. So Sarai was angry at Abram, yet she took it out wrongly and harshly on Hagar. Her treatment went so far as Hagar running away. And this type of anger over our own shortcomings is always dangerous. And in Genesis chapter 16, verse 7, we learn, The angel of the Lord found Hagar beside a desert spring along the road to Shur. When the angel found Hagar, she was running away from Sarai, but the angel would offer her sound advice. He suggested she return and face up to Sarai, the cause of her problem, and submit to her authority. No matter how justified Hagar was, she needed to work on her attitude towards Sarai, and that is being obedient to God. So when we choose to run away from our problems, they rarely get solved. God wants us to confront problems head on. Through prayer, the Holy Spirit will guide us in the steps to take. And God's looking for us to have a right heart attitude reflecting His goodness in all situations. When we return, facing our problems squarely in the face, God offers us His help. So all three people in this story made serious mistakes. Sarai took matters into her own hands by overthinking what would solve her problem and not being patient at all. She then gave her servant to her husband. Abraham was wrong because he erred by going along with a plan that didn't have the hand of God within it. Then when the circumstances soured, he did nothing to help solve the problem that he had created. And finally, Hagar became a runner and attempted to flee from her troubles. And although we learn through this ill-conceived encounter that God can work even in the midst of messy situations, Sarai and Abram still received the gift of the son they were so desperate for. And God, through the angel of the Lord, solved Hagar's problems, even when Abram refused to help. So there's no problem too large for God when we're willing to let him step in and help us. You know, there was a recent movie was just released about this next angel encounter. It came out of Angel Studios and it's called His Only Son. It explored the narrative of the angel of the Lord and Abraham. So come along as we shift to the mountaintop now of Mount Moriah, which means the Mount of the Lord. In Genesis chapter 22, verses 11 and 12, it says, But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, do not lay a hand on the boy. The angel of the Lord tells Abraham, Now I know that you fear God because you've not withheld from me your son, your only son. In the thicket above was a ram whom Abraham sacrificed in lieu of his only unique and irreplaceable son. God spoke at the very moment Abraham needed to hear from him. God didn't want Isaac to die. God wanted Abraham's submission to himself. And God validated Abraham's deep faith. So let me ask you now, what is fearing God? Here's what scripture tells us. Fearing God takes priority over every other response to him. To fear God describes saving faith. It also indicates one who values God as God in awe, wonder, and worship. And you know, it can be 
beyond difficult to let go of what we love. There's a saying that exists that if you really love it, let it go. And if it comes back to you, then it was meant to be with you. Yet give up your one and only son. Isn't this exactly what God did for you and for me? He gave us his beloved one and only son to free us from the bondage of sin and death, giving us eternal life. And when we yield to God's request, he always gives us more exceedingly and abundantly than we could ever ask for. The spiritual benefit of his blessings always outweigh the sacrifices we give to him. So are you holding anything back from God? Maybe you're holding back your time, your money, your children. We need to trust that our God is the Jehovah Jireh, the Lord, our provider. And there's a parallel between the ram from the thicket that was offered on the altar as a substitute for Isaac and Jesus offered on the cross as a substitute for us. God stepped in and stopped Abraham from sacrificing his own son. However, God did not spare his only son, Jesus, from the cross for us. Had Jesus lived, the rest of mankind would have died. We were spared from eternal death that we deserved and given the choice to choose eternal life. Well, now the angel of the Lord appears to Abraham from heaven a second time. We go to Genesis chapter 22, verses 15 to 17. I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you've done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. And we see the progression of this blessing that God's talking about. The progression is we've got Abraham who then has Isaac and Isaac marries Rebecca and together they have Jacob. So God promised all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Why? All because Abraham obeyed God. All because one man chose a life of obedience. And we go now to Jacob's dream. The angel of the Lord appears to Jacob in a dream. That's Genesis chapter 31 verses 11 through 13. It says, Jacob, I answered, here I am. And he said, I am the God of Bethel where you anointed a pillar and where you made a vow to me. Now leave this land at once and go back to your native land. Jacob obeyed these instructions and traveled back to his native land. He sent his family and his belongings across the ford of the river and Jacob stayed behind. And in Genesis 32, verse 24, we find, Then Jacob was left alone in the camp, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Who was this man? Well, Jacob was strong-willed and continued his wrestling match all night so that he would receive a blessing. He was tenacious and persistent. And God encourages us to also be persistent in all areas of our lives too, especially and including our spiritual lives. Our strong character emerges the more we struggle through tough conditions. But the Bible capitalized man in that last passage because this is a theophany. It's an Old Testament appearance of Christ. Jacob did not initiate the contest. 
God wanted to separate the self-willed Jacob from all support until he was left alone before him. And the prophet Hosea tells us that the man was an angel. In Hosea chapter 12, verse 4, it says, Yes, he struggled with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought favor from him. And if you recall, favor is grace. So in Genesis chapter 32, verse 25, we get more details. It says the man wrestling with Jacob saw that he could not overpower him and touched his hip socket so that his hip was wrenched. And touch is another way of saying he gave, he gave him an afflicting strike. And the outcome of this touch was a lifelong weakness in his hip. And in Genesis chapter 32, verse 25, at daybreak, the man gave Jacob a new name, Israel, which means he struggles with God. The man would not tell Jacob his name. Jacob declared, I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. And God gave many people from the Bible new names, like Abraham, Sarah, Peter. Their new names were symbols of how God had changed their lives. Here we see how Jacob's character had changed. Jacob was the ambitious deceiver, had now become Israel, the one who struggles with God and overcomes. So now we're going to proceed forward four centuries later and we come to Moses who's herding sheep. He's near Mount Horeb. What a contrast between his life as an Egyptian prince and Moses's life as a Midianite shepherd. As a prince, he had everything done for him. He was the famous son of an Egyptian princess. But as a shepherd, he had to do everything by himself. He was holding the very job he had been taught to despise. And he lived in un as an unknown foreigner upon the land. What a humbling experience this must have been for Moses. But God was preparing him for leadership through all of it. Living the life of a shepherd and a nomad, Moses learned about the ways of the people that he would be leading and also about life in the wilderness. God was getting ready to free Israel from the Pharaoh's deep grasp. So in Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, it says, Then God called to him from a bush appearing in flames of fire. And Moses was amazed because the bush was engulfed in flames, and yet it didn't burn up. The angel told him later in verses 14 through 16, I am who I am, the one who always is. This is my name forever. Go assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob appeared to me. You can be sure that I'm watching over you and have seen what is happening to you in Egypt. So moving forward again, an, another four centuries later, we go to Judges chapter 13, verse 6. It's an Israelite town of Zorah. The angel of the Lord appeared to a barren wife of a man named Manoah. He told her she would bear a son named Samson. The woman told her husband, saying, A man of God came to me, and his countenance was like the countenance of the angel of God. Very awesome. But I did not ask him where he was from, and he did not tell her his name. The angel of the Lord comes again, but this time to both the husband and the wife. And Manoah inquires, What is your name? So we may give honor when your word comes true. And in Judges verses 
17 and 18, still in chapter 13, he replied, Why do you ask my name? It's beyond understanding. By refusing to tell Manawa his name, the angel of the Lord affirmed the mystery and power of his name by refusing to divulge it. Had he told it, Manawa would have thought he had some control over him. But following the angel's instructions, Manawa prepared a burnt offering to offer on a rock altar to the Lord. As the flame blazed up from the altar toward heaven, the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame. Manoa said, we are doomed to die, he said to his wife. We have seen God. Now Samson was to be a Nazarite. That means a person who took a vow to be set apart for God's service. And Samson's parents made the vow for him. For Samson, this was not a temporary vow. Rather, it would last a lifetime. As a Nazarene, Samson could not cut his hair, touch a dead body, or drink anything containing alcohol. Over Samson's life, he often was in the crosshairs, exercising poor judgment, causing him to sin. However, he accomplished much when he was determined to be set apart for God's service. And one could draw a parallel to the nation of Israel here. When the nation remained set apart for God, they thrived, but they fell back into terrible sin when they would ignore their God. At about the same time, the angel of the Lord travels across a stretch of Israel to instruct an entire nation. And this is how we're going to confront Israel's disobedience here. People had backslidden so far, neglecting to tear down pagan altars. The message did not fall on deaf ears. The place was named Bochem, which is Hebrew for weepers. There they offered sacrifices to the Lord. It was short-lived. The pattern continued in the Old Testament. Reproof, guidance, and direction was given. And then appearances to Gideon with the threshed wheat in a wine press and David punishing plague or the prophets Elijah and Zechariah and Balaam's donkey. We have to stop and question, did these people see God or did they see the angel of the Lord? And most likely it was the angel of the Lord because no one has seen God face to face and lived. So the angel of the Lord slaughters 185,000 Assyrians camped outside of Jerusalem. And this occurred in 2 Kings chapter 19, verses 32 through 35. We learn that the Lord set himself against the king of Assyria. His armies will not enter Jerusalem to shoot their arrows. They will not march outside its gates with their shields and build banks of earth against its walls. The king will return to his own country by the road on which he came. He will not enter this city, says the Lord. For my own honor and for the sake of my servant David, I will defend it. The Assyrians were known for treating captives with cruelty. They tortured people for entertainment purposes, blinding them, cutting them, or pulling strips of their skin until they died. If they wished to make a captive a slave, they would often put a hook in his nose. And God was saying the Assyrians would be treated the way they had treated others. Henceforth, the 185,000 Assyrians all killed in one night. So in Exodus chapter 33, verse 20, scripture's clear, but he said, you cannot see my face for no man shall see me and live. 
Moses' prayer was to see the manifest glory of God. He wanted assurance of God's presence with him. And Aaron, Joshua, and Moses, they all desired to know that presence experientially. Because we're finite and morally imperfect, we cannot exist and see God as he is. To see God's back means we can only see where God has passed by. We can only know him by what he does and how he acts. We cannot comprehend God as he really is apart from Jesus. So Jesus promised to show himself to those who would believe. And that's where we're at in, even in today. So the angel of the Lord seems to be the pre-incarnate Christ, who is the second person of the Trinity, or the greatest of them all. I guess you could almost say the ultimate goat. This angel's definitely a cut above ordinary angels, for God's very name was in him. Also, he could forgive sins. Who else but God alone could do this? So as we've said before, God uses all ways and means to teach his people about the truth of his son, Jesus. And I hope you've enjoyed learning more about the angel of the Lord and will consider joining me tomorrow for day five of our six-part biblical angel series. And you know, not everyone has a personal relationship with Jesus, but if you want to become a child of God and spend eternity in heaven, not somewhere else, then I'd invite you to pray this prayer of invitation to our Lord Jesus. Repeat after me, Jesus, I repent in turning away from my sins. I'm inviting you to take up residence within my heart. I believe your blood was shed for all who believe that you took on the sin of humanity, past, present, and future, at the cross of Calvary. Amen. And friends, if you prayed that prayer of salvation, I believe you were saved and born again spiritually. Your next step is to read God's word daily so he can guide, direct, and reveal himself to you. And get into a good Bible-based church to surround yourself with other believers who will continue to edify and build up your faith. And let me be the first to congratulate you on the best decision of your life. Congratulations and God bless you. And now as, as you leave today, I want to just pray this benediction from priest Aaron over you. It comes out in Numbers chapter 6 verses 24 through 26. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show his favor and give you his peace. Amen. And the Grace and Peace of God Love Wins podcast will be available most days during the week. A special Kid Talk podcast airs on Wednesdays when we're not involved in a series. So tune in along with your children for your favorite Bible stories you grew up with. And we'll be discussing and sharing Jesus' unlimited power in our present day lives. We delve into many topics such as forgiveness, how to be joyful, what love and action looks like, and even this one, biblical angels. So I invite you and your friends to consider joining me as we explore life together. And if you like the podcast, hit like and subscribe so you'll get the latest episodes when they become available. And friends, much of today's podcast was referencing my book, The Grace and Peace of God Love Wins. If you found the content inspiring or interesting, you can pick up a copy of the book from my website, pampastorcopywriting.com, or at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or Dorrance.com. 
And if you're unable to afford a copy, please write to me and I'll find a way to get a free one into your hands. And if you know anyone who you could bless with this material, please share it with them as well. And until next time, be blessed and the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. Thank you.